Hello, Belinda. Hi, Omar. I have been enjoying this intermission series between season one and season two of our podcast. It's been a delight to get to meet many of your friends who cover so many different areas. Who do we have uh, joining us today? Well, with this uh, month of May, there's so much to appreciate and celebrate in caregivers of our world. And I am so honored to introduce Linda Ong, who uh, magically showed up at our retreat center a couple falls ago. And it was this beautiful retreat of so many uh, healers and caregivers in different contexts. And uh, Linda and I reconnected after that retreat um, because of her work as a hospice nurse. And um, she works with sound as part of the way that she supports her patients. And so excited to have Linda here to just share a bit of her experience of the journey of being a hospice nurse. And I just wanted to say that the daffodil flower representing the theme of beautiful sadness was what came up for me as I was just sitting with, you know, the work that you do, Linda. You know, daffodils are the flower that come up in early spring And uh, it's the first sign that winter is over and spring is emerging. So a lot of cycles of, you know, letting go and opening up space for new possibilities, a new beginning. And so, um, yeah, I would love to just hear from you. How did this journey begin for you? You're so beautiful with your words, Belinda. You always make me cry. Um, from joy joy. (laughs) with joy yes just beautiful beautiful well thank you so much for having me on I'm so excited to be here um so my journey started oh gosh maybe yeah 22 years ago um was when my mom passed away and she was on hospice so um at the time I was only 20 years old and, uh, gosh, um, I think I shared with you, I'm going to go into like the Zodiac chart. I'm a Pisces, Pisces cancer. So I'm like water all the way. So <laughs> high emotions. I like, I feel everybody's stuff. So when my mom passed away on hospice, I was in the hospital and the nurse is like, you'd make a wonderful nurse. Um, And I said, thank you. I I just feel like I'm too emotional for that work. And then just kind of fast forward. um, Oh gosh, I didn't go into the nursing field till about 10 years later when I was just kind of, kind of figuring out what to do with my life. And, you know, I was working retail and I just didn't find any um, joy or purpose. So I thought, well, let's go down the nursing route. So I did got my associate's degree in New York, and all of a sudden there was a freeze on hiring new nurses, and I was like, what? Um, <laughs> I thought nursing was like a, a good, like... Perpetual, perpetual demand. demand. Yeah, we're never going to go out of style. Like, everybody needs us all the time. But all of a sudden there was a freeze, and... A classmate of mine whose husband was an actor 
they moved out to LA for his acting career. And she just happened to get a job as a hospice nurse. And she heard about our struggles back on the East Coast with getting jobs. And she reached out to me and was like, hey, do you want to move cross country and be a tryout the hospice gig? I was like, okay, why not? So yeah, I moved cross country, started hospice in 2012. Emotional roller coaster. I didn't think I was going to last. And fast, fast forward till now. On the in-between, I also lost my dad about in 2016. He was on hospice. And um, yeah, it it was just kind of a crazy ride, like how I got here. How did you go from nursing, which I imagine the school is probably more technical in orientation, to hospice, which for me at least... It really sounds like processing emotions, right? It, it, it's less about the clinical kind of parts of it and really about your emotions. And so what was that transition for you and how has your own personal experience helped you really be present um, in the ways that I'm sure you're being asked to? Yeah, so you're right. It's schooling-wise, it's so funny they talk about palliative and hospice care for like one. I looked back in my books, uh, my nursing school books, and there's like one paragraph about <laughs> hospice. I think and how, how many years is nursing school? school? Uh, for me, it was only about since I got my associates all together about three years. Um, but three years and one, one paragraph, paragraph is what you got for <laughs> palliative care. That's That's palliative amazing. hospice care, because you know nobody. Right. I think it's changed a lot. Um, at the time, nobody likes to hear about death and dying. Um, Yeah, it happens happens to all of us. That's the the number one thing that's guaranteed in life is you will die. (laughs) Sorry, I'm not going to bring it Debbie Downer, but... No, but I think that it's important that we actually open this conversation up in a way that it isn't actually about a negative thing necessarily, right? And so... How do we actually have a healthy conversation around it? And, you know, we've been talking a lot about how, you know, school is great for your mind, gyms are great for your body, and there isn't sort of an equivalent space for your emotions, right? Where you can actually address your emotions. And only now, and we recently had a conversation with teachers where social emotional learning is in the curriculum. And so now there's this new vocabulary. So that I know that my daughters are having these conversations. So I, you know, I don't think this is about being a Debbie Downer. And I think one of the terms that I've heard recently is a death doula. Um, there you go. And so, you know, part of it is like, we think about doulas and birth, right. And, um, and now sort of what is that transition? So yeah, no, please jump in. So death doula, I feel like that's really my role now. So with the hospice agency that I've been working with, my role has kind of shifted um, just back in March. And I used to work at one of the bigger hospitals in Los Angeles as a hospice, um, their inpatient unit. And going through that during the pandemic was just too crazy. Um, I I don't know how many times, how many meltdowns I went through, like, I tried to quit three times and they were just like, no, 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 no. 
Um, so it went full time to part time. And then now I'm per diem. I fortunately don't have to spend too much time in the hospital anymore. I presented to um, the higher ups of the company a sound healing for grief because I think Belinda and I, we talked and, you know, grief, sometimes words aren't enough anymore. Like there's no more to say. So I created this just holding space and I called it sound healing for grief where people can just come on virtually or in person. And I just, I play my sound bowls and my chimes and my gong. Yeah, Linda, what about the sound, you know, was really um, drawing you? Because I know that what the retreat that you came to was all about sound, using sound for healing. What what about the bowls and sound was really like resonant with you? Like literally. <laughs> it's the frequency. So my bowls are the... The ones that I use primarily um, in sessions with patients, you know, other clients, um, all connect to the endocrine system. And just when I, like, even for myself, when I start playing, just it helps you just to drop in so quickly. Um, you can almost say it's like a meditation. It just kind of brings you to a, a place that's not in your body if that makes sense. What, what is the endocrine system? It's pretty much like your um, things that create hormones, like your glands, adrenal glands, thyroid, pituitary gland, the glands that create um, some sort of hormone typically. I have a set of seven and they kind of uh, like, they kind of connect with the different parts in your body. And even during the session, people will say like, oh, I felt it in my my heart or in my throat area. Um, I had a, a client at a, a public sound bath. She had brain um, trauma and she felt it in her frontal lobe, like a, like a vibrating sensation. And then in her occipital lobe on the back, um, she said she felt pain, but it wasn't like pain that made her cringe. It was a strange pain where she felt it, but it it didn't cause her a reaction. It wasn't unbearable. What I feel from what you're saying, Linda, is, you know, you started this journey as this empathic person, you know, double Pisces who feels so many things. And you witnessed death in such a personal way with your mom and then your father and and then you found this beautiful healing modality that drops people in quickly into their bodies. And one of the things that Omar and I have been talking about so much is just the power of the somatic work. And as you're describing the work that you do with sound, it's almost like this really quick entryway into the body, the sensations, the feelings, which I would imagine is such a big part of the healing process when you're, you know, sick, physically sick and ill. And I'm just curious, you know, what have you noticed or learned about the dying process? Like, what does that feel like for you as you're bearing witness to someone that is ultimately going through the biggest transition of life, which is to say goodbye? 
I mean, what what yeah. what is that like? Descri- could you describe that feeling and that sensation? Gosh, that's a hard question. <laughs> Even doing this for so long, you know, as a nurse, you're taught that it's never about you, and it's always about the patient or the patient and the family. So, in the dying process, it's just really being present, being in that moment, and just like my nursing cap comes on and just making sure that they're comfortable. So, you know, obviously still bringing in the the Western medicines and things like that. But then when I'm doing the sound, it, I don't know, it, it's so beautiful. It, you can see sometimes that it takes them to a different space. And actually my current patients who are still verbal and able to make their needs known, like during our sessions, yes, they drop in really quickly and when they come back, they, it was a beautiful, this, this woman whose husband passed away, she said, I was in heaven. And I was just like, tell me more about that. And she said, my husband came and he held my hand and he took me to a beautiful place. And she said it was, she thought it was heaven. And that just, that made me cry. Um, <laughs> It just makes me feel, I don't know. It just makes me feel like this is my purpose. So it took a long time to, to get, to get to that. It's an amazing story. How we talk about death um, and create that sort of room for that conversation and just kind of realize that it, like, we sort of think about death and it's sort of like, you're alive and then you're dead. But th- I think part of why the, the death doula conversation, it's like, life doesn't just happen, right? Like, there's a nine, and it's actually 10 months. I don't know why everybody says nine months of pregnancy, because I think it's actually technically 10 months, but, you know, tomato, tomato. And then even the the, the birth process itself, like, I remember the first time, you know, uh my wife was pregnant and she had 40 hours of labor. I mean, I was like, that's like a full work week, right? Of <laughs> Just 40 straight hours of labor. And so we use these words like birth and death as if they're sort of like, they happen in a second. And oftentimes they don't. Um, and, and, and I think in Buddhism even, they actually talk about, eight dissolutions related to the four elements of earth, water, fire, and air. And so there's like a real systematic approach to really understanding those eight dissolutions. Each of those four elements dissolve. And and so maybe just in your experience now, what have been those sort of transitional moments have you been able to sort of now sort of see like oh we are now in this phase of this process yeah so i guess that's part of the clinical aspect of it as well as they teach us um the different phases of dying um so there's the transitional phase where you know somebody who's been um able to make their needs known and still eating, even if it's just a few bites or sips there. And once they stop that um, and become less conscious, we call it the transitional phase. Um, So we try to do the education with the family and tell them what's going on. And then 
the actively dying phase where, you know, you can see their blood pressure drops, um, you know, all their vital signs are, are going down and their breathing changes. And yeah, we call that actively dying. And then obviously there's the, the then, they, then they pass away. Um, and an interesting thing is um, while I was doing my work in the hospital is being present at the moment of death. Um, for me, you can almost feel uh, like there's nobody in the room, like their physical body is there. But it's a, almost like, I guess it depends on your belief system as to where what happens to you after you die. But I always... I, feel like their soul has left the body. And Linda, you've been reading a lot about the Tibetan traditions around the even the soul leaving the body and that whole process of, you know, transition. So what are you learning about that just from that tradition? That's really interesting because so the Tibetan Buddhism is... Well, Tibetans, from the moment that they're born, they're taught that that you're 100% you're going to die. So that's instilled into them from, you know, from the moment of birth. And I actually hear, or actually in Topanga in California, there's a beautiful center where you can learn all about Tibetan Buddhism. So I found um, Dr. Nita, who is now my teacher, he's done some, um, it's called the Bardo meditation, where it's a chant that you can actually either say out loud or, or mentally at the moment of death. And then after they leave their body, that you're chanting this mantra so that the soul will um, ascend to uh it's not heaven, but to the next level. So they don't get stuck in between. What does bardo mean? The bardo is like the in-between. Hmm. Um, I guess some people would say it's uh, purgatory, maybe. Um, yeah. It's so interesting how, you know, in the course of life, the journey of life, we're ultimately being trained on how to be graceful with our transitions, you know, like you talked about, you know, starting your career off in retail and then moving into nursing. And, you know, even during the pandemic, the the depths of it, you know, just feeling like you needed to transition into something, you know, different and, and just makes me really inspired about just remembering that, you know, like, we're, this is what we're being trained to do is to like let go in this big way. And like this mantra that you're sharing, it feels like it's about that as well. It's like, can you fully detach from your body in that way? Right. And that's, I think that's the biggest thing I've learned with doing this work is, is learning to let go because you can, um, you can see it when, when somebody just wants to hold on so tightly to this physical realm that they suffer while they're because they don't want to let go. So the body is failing them, but the soul doesn't want to leave. Or that, yeah, and you see it, and then they just they're 
they're around a lot longer clinically than we would think. Um, and we just don't know why. And so part of when we meet with a patient, our social worker and our own whole team, as they get closer, we want to make sure that the person has uh, heard from everybody that they need to hear from. And so many times when they don't, um, they hold on. Like this happened with my mom when she was passing away. She was in the actively dying phase. My sister was in, I think, New Orleans at the time. And I called her. I, I was begging her, please come back like right now. She's like, oh, no, I have a couple more days on this trip. And I said, no, please come back. And so she um, got in the car, drove back. And you could see my mom holding on. And as soon as she walked into, my sister walked into the room, you could see this like, like letting go. And then she passed away, I don't know, maybe just a couple hours later. I've only um, had one person close to me pass away. It was my, my grandmother on my um, mom's side, who I was close to because I grew up in her house. And, and it was, I was in just finishing college and I, was actually, I was going to school up north, uh, Northern Cal, and I was driving through LA because my best friend and I were on our way down to Baja for a multi-day sea kayaking trip. And so we had to stop in LA to pick up a permit. And in the course of literally just one night in LA, um, I w- and I happened to be home in the house, and I got this phone call and they're like, are anyone here related to Emma Fong? And I was like, uh, I'm her grandson. And they said, um, you know, regret to inform you, but she's in the hospital in a coma now. I just saw her, you know, that morning and she was an avid bowler every Thursday. She loved to bowl. And apparently she bowled that morning and then walking out to uh, her car, she had a brain aneurysm. And so it was one of those just moments where like all the feelings that I've ever had about my grandmother, like any of the negative charged ones just like went away. And it was really just the gratitude that I had for her was all that I felt. That's all that the feeling that I was left with. And so then I had the challenge of calling all of her kids, you know, my mom and her sisters and brothers, you know, and let her, let them know what happened. And then I think I must've been the first one in the hospital and I just remember, you know, she was laid out very still, but I was able to, I put my hand in hers and I felt like just the gentlest of squeezes, you know, and then I, I don't remember the exact time sequence sort of thereafter, but it was pretty short. I don't know if it was like, it was definitely within a, a day or so, you know, you have to sort of make that decision to sort of pull 
you know, the breathing apparatuses and things that are. And I remember just when we made that decision as a family, like running out of the hospital room to a bathroom and throwing up. I had like this just crazy physical reaction to just that decision. Um, and, you know, in many ways, like I said, I was grateful because I feel like, you know, you don't ever really get to sort of choose some time. You don't ever know when your time is up. And she went out doing what she loved, bowling. You know, and I, and I love that, like, in some ways her body was like, I'm going to let you finish the game. And I'm sure she like rocked a great score. Like she was, she was really good. Um, you know, and it was just one of those things where just having, you know, there, there was nothing we had ever done as a family to prepare for that moment though. Um, and so I think it is so important to have these sort of healthy conversations and, and even it's becoming more popular. Have you read the book in love with the world amongst journey through the bardos of living and dying? It's a fantastic um, book of this 36-year-old monk who was like a rising star in the sort of Tibetan masters. And then he kind of like slipped out of the monastery to sort of go on his own sort of journey outside of the kind of traditional. Um, and he didn't tell anybody. And he he ended up getting food poisoning and almost dying and it was but for some stranger who passed by him on the street that he had helped earlier in that day that actually brought him to the hospital and and like paid all the expenses to have him um, recover and he was fully prepared to let go and so it was just this powerful like breaking down and I've never read a book um, about death and so it you know, I, I think that we're creating a culture now where we can have these healthier conversations. Linda, I'm curious for you, you know, holding space for so many people around the dying process. What are you learning about life? You know, how do you, how does that inform how you live your life? Mm. Um, so I mentioned just the act of being present and also letting go has been a huge one. Um, and really, I don't know, it, it, some people think it's so cliche to say, but like, l- like everything that's happened in life is truly for a purpose. Kind of doing like a life review, um, my parents passing and then getting into hospice and all of this, it's like, it all makes sense now um but it didn't make sense at when you know when it was all happening yeah just like i'm grateful for every day that that i kind of wake up and i'm like oh i have another day as cheesy as that sounds it's like because not not everybody does obviously you're on a gratitude podcast this is the (laughs) the exact thing that we're we're trying to sort of recognize is that you never know when the small moments are going to become the big ones. And then sometimes we don't get to know that until they're gone or they, you know, it's clear that they're not going to be here anymore. And just as you're now experiencing this with sound, I would just, how has that sort of transition? And, and you said that you've been in, in more conversations now about this. So what, 
do you think is happening in the sort of culture uh, in this space? You know, sound, even in Tibetan Buddhism, they've been working with sound for, I don't know how long, um, but I think people are really coming to the point where they they realize the the power of sound. Um, even with your own voice, um, you don't need, you know, these expensive bowls or anything, just um, chanting, you know, we call them the beige mantras like Om or Ram or Lam and things like that. Um, just, just chanting silently to yourself, like how powerful that can be for healing, healing your own body and your own mind. Um, and the more that I'm, the more that I get to share the sound um, with either patients or you know the public in general, people are just amazed at what it does to their physical body, and then what it does to their their emotional and mental well being. So even if I if if I never see that person again, I'm hoping that seed has been planted for them to like open up that world of the healing, um, just the healing powers of that sound has. Yes, you know we were just recording this podcast with teachers who focus on embodiment education um, through K through twelve. And one of the teachers said that emotions are where the mind and the body meet. And I just, I really love that definition Um, because sometimes, particularly in sort of Western culture, we create these sort of separations like, you you know, the mind's up here, emotions over here, bodies over here. And, you know, we even talk about like mind over matter. Um, And, as as there's sort of a superiority of one of these things over another. And the reality is, is they're all one thing. Um, and, and yet we can still find some nuance and distinctions. But as you've gone through this process now, how do you sort of think about the mind, the body, and the heart? The Healing Power of Sound, it's, it's, a book that I'm currently reading. I don't know why it took me so long because my bowl teacher like has been talking about this since I met her. Um, it's by Dr. Mitchell Gaynor. He incorporates everything that you just said is the mind and the body are, are not separate. It's all one. And, and I love the work that you were talking about um, with the teachers, like allowing kids to to learn to like express their emotions because I feel like when someone is, you know, coming up from a culture where we don't talk about our feelings, we don't say, I love you. There was no like, you know, physical (laughs) hugging, things like that. Um, We didn't have the opportunity. Well, we just didn't express our emotions and to suppress that. I feel like it manifests somewhere in the physical body um and you know they're science is doing more and more research which i love um and that's part of of bringing sound into this healing work is you know i always say i love for people to like 
talk about their feelings. Um, because again, when you, when you just kind of suppress everything, it really does manifest in the body. And um, one practice that I do with folks is like, and I think Belinda, I've heard you talk about this on the po- podcast, is like when you're feeling a feeling like jealousy, and then you ask, where do you feel it in your body? And it's so interesting, like what can come up? And it's, for me, like a certain feeling always comes up in like a certain area. And then you learn to process those emotions and you learn that it's important to to express and talk about your feelings. Well, and that's like the body is giving us constant signals. You know, like even just when you said it, I don't know, for whatever reason, my left palm started to like sweat a little bit, just the word jealousy. And I was like, I wonder why is it like, because jealousy is almost like a grabby feeling, <laughs> like, but just to even just become aware of that emotion. And I think this is where mind over matter really does a disservice in some ways um, in that our body is sending us all kinds of signals. And I think sometimes we think of mind over matter as like, well, I can overcome this signal, right? And um, and I can sort of transcend it as opposed to how do I just embrace it? I don't need to be limited by it either, right? Like just because I have fear does not mean that I shouldn't then also figure out how to connect to courage, right? But I can still acknowledge the fear and where I'm feeling it so that I can then be also courageous, right? And, and you know, and I think just even... I, for a little while, when I hit my, uh, when I turned 40 and I was like, oh my God, I got to take care of my body in a different way. And I tend to do things overboard. And so I started running and then, you know, 5Ks, half marathons, marathons. And I was like very in touch with my body, but it was in some ways overruling my, the pain sometimes that my body felt. And that's kind of what they train you too. is like, hey, don't limit yourself and become aware. But there's a balance, right, between short-term pain and like long-term injury. Um, and, you know, and I was grateful that I was able to run a couple marathons, but I've also paid the price for it in different ways as well. And, and, and I think that as we become more aware as a society, um, you know, I, I really feel like we're building a new vocabulary for how we want to communicate. And it's, in many ways, it's not building so much a new vocabulary, right? Because you're saying that these Tibetan traditions have embraced this for a very long time. Um, and, you know, and even the whole Christian sort of premise is based on death and, you know, rebirth, right? Like, and so uh, we just, you know, uh, had Easter not that long ago. And so, you know, I think they're both a new vocabulary, but these are questions that humans have been grappling with and finding different ways. But that's, you know, in many ways, sometimes religion is creating a vocabulary and a set of rituals and practices to help people. So I think part of it then is for these times that we live in, what is our vocabulary for today? What is What are the rituals that we have today? And that's really what I feel like you're helping to to create and you're on the front lines of from that one paragraph of palliative care. 
so mind-boggling to me. Oh, and I so appreciate, Linda, how you're giving voice to why it's important to feel the feelings and where it lands in our bodies, because, you know, that's how we prevent illness. And, you know, having someone like you with your training say that basically through your story today, like, that's why we ask, where does that feeling land in your body? Because to to be able to acknowledge it then allows us to then process it so it's not getting stuck there in a way that then causes disease. That's, that's what I'm hearing you say in in your work. Right on the dot. Another thing I've learned is like, it all comes down to simplicity and not making your life so crazy, hectic, and um, and truly just like taking time just to be and just to listen and listen to your body. Like Omar, when you your left hand gets all sweaty, it's like, you know, sit with it. Why, why is it feeling this way? You know? And I, and that makes people uncomfortable. People don't want to, like some people don't want to feel their feelings. They don't want to talk about emotions because it makes them vulnerable. The reality though, is it just, it's not that they don't, it's not that they go away though. Right. Like they then just manifest in these other ways and often in unhealthier ways. And so, you know, part of what we talk about is noticing and naming. And, you know, and I think psychologists call it like what you name, you can claim. Uh, And when you claim it, then you can own it. And then you can sort of say, do I want to react to this or do I want to act on this? Right. Do I want to like, respond in a way that is mindful or present, um, even if it, you know, isn't your best self, right? I think maybe part of this conversation is there is this culture of like, live your best life. And so then anything that doesn't feel best is bad um, versus like, it's just part of your life and how do you name it and claim it so that you can really embody, right? what how you want to live so just you know i love that very clear just practice of simplicity um any other sort of advice that you would give folks as they might be facing these life-changing moments it's so funny the these the gratitude blooming cards i tell belinda like i love them so much because this is the first deck that i'm using like on the daily with all, with everybody. Um, and the simplicity of it all, the line drawings, the like one or two sentences that come up in the the prompts. But um, that, that question is like, it's just kind of being, just being present and being, um, forgiveness is a huge word that's coming out right now. Um, when you get to the point where you're you don't have much time anymore, that's that's always been the the number one thing that comes up with the patients and the families is forgiveness. Yeah. The first card in the deck. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's like we started the podcast series with that theme because it seems yeah. like it's like this like virtue that we're just constantly learning, you know, till we die, basically. Um, Linda, I'm curious how we'd love for us to close with um, 
you know, you've introduced a lot of different practices. I'd love for you to pick a card for the community that is listening to the podcast as one of, you know, our closing practices. And I love that you have it right there. And, you know, we couldn't have a plan for you to make that pitch for the gratitude blooming card deck, but it's just beautiful (laughs) that it is part of your practice now. And, and, and you're sharing that with your healing, in your healing circles. Uh, Before we pick the card, you know, for the, for the group today who are listening, like, is there anything else you want to share about what you've learned from having this tool in these spaces? Honestly, the number one thing that I've learned from this, this tool is really simplicity. And that's something I share, like, no matter who I'm using these cards with, um, that's like the first thing that comes up. It's like, it's just a simple line drawing and one or two sentences, but they, they resonate so deeply with the person that I'm working with. And, um, they just kind of, every single time they just kind of stare at me at, in awe, like, that's it. I'm like, yeah. But then, then we talk about it and they get so deep with it. That's why I love, I love, I mean, you know, I love these cards so much. You know this, B. <laughs> so will you um, take us through the practice of how you do the cards? And I know you do it as a closing practice for a lot of your circles. So we'd love to receive you, from you this practice. Honestly, it's very simple. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so... With my clients and my patients or who, everybody that I'm working with, um, I just hold them in the palm of my hand and then just setting the intention that we're pulling the card right now for all, all of the folks that are listening. And take a deep breath and exhale through the mouth. Again, deep inhale through the nose. Exhale through the mouth. And one time, one more time together. Deep inhale. And exhale. And then we'll pick one for the group. And our card is <laughs> uh, number eight, Bleeding Heart Community. Perfect. And I'll just read it aloud for the listeners. Number eight, Bleeding Heart Community. Which hearts in your community are you grateful for? And how can you express it to them? Which hearts in your community are you grateful for? How can you express it to them? Beautiful. (laughs) Well, I'll just say that uh, the heart that I'm thinking of right now is my grandmother's and how I can express it to her is... uh, just through prayer, just as a silent sort of meditation of 
thanking her, um, you know, and just recently on my Facebook memory page, a photo popped up of, uh, my senior graduation speech that I gave and somehow like this was probably 10, 15 years after she passed, we were going through some of her things and we found this old, um, calendar book, like the old sort of leather bound, um, calendar book. And in it, she had my speech, uh, folded up in the front. And it was the actual speech because it had like my last minute notes in it. So I have no idea how she actually got like that copy of the speech. And it was in the front of her calendar. And so it was just this very beautiful moment of just realizing that even though like your family, she never said the words, I love you and, and those kinds of things. Um, Clearly she did. And that was just like a powerful token that she left. So thank you. I appreciate how your grandmother's spirit is with us today, Omar. I think for thank me, you. for me, the um, community that I'm grateful for is all the caregivers in my life. Just like such unseen ways that they love without even me knowing sometimes well thank you linda so much for joining us today thank you for the work that you do um you know thank you for following just your intuition you know from retail to you know nursing school to coming out to the west coast to following a instagram pop-up ad you know and and now just imagine that you're really helping to rebuild um, a vocabulary and set of practices and rituals that can help people in probably one of the most important times uh, of our lives. So thank you. Thank you for your big, expansive, loving heart. I feel it so much in this podcast. <laughs> Thanks, B. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.